It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. Within three years, that man had me as the number one military policeman in the United States Army. He put me through a transformation like none other. So to this day, I call him my pops. Wow. Whenever we talk, he's pops. That's my dad. Wow. He saw TD Jakes has a quote that says, powerful people see potential in people. And Aaron Pelzer was that person that I got there and he saw it. He saw it right away. And he also saw that I was sabotaging myself because I had horrible habits for self-sabotage, right? Amazing opportunities that will pop up, but little things like somebody saying the wrong thing to me and I go off, right? But I go off like I'm back in Fort Pierce. And so he helps structure or provide some structure to my life. Throughout my life, at, at any given moment, brother, I've gone through enough that I could have been a drug addict. I could have been homeless. I could have been a perpetrator of sexual assaults. I could have been a domestic violence perpetrator. There's so many different directions. I could be in prison. I could be in a gang. Mm. There's so many different things that I could be. Mm. And I'm none of them. Wow. And what I'm doing with my life now, and sorry, I've been talking so long. Wow. What I'm doing with my life now is dissecting my life from uh, as of January 19th of 2023, uh, 2024, yeah. 2023. That's what you're in, 2023, sorry. As of January 19th of this year, it's literally taking the previous 42 years of my life and chopping that up, putting those in books. And I mean, going down to the level that would make some therapists uncomfortable. Mm. Because in doing that, I'll be able to show other people, listen, I went through this thing or these things, these series of things, um, these adverse childhood experiences, and I'm willing to break these down to as deep a level as I need to until you can see in yourself how you can climb out of that hole and escape that barrier that's standing in front of you. I, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I'm so excited and delighted to bring today's guest on, Derek Green. I'm going to read a little bit about his background and his bio so you can get a deeper insight into the man you're going to hear from today. So Derek has been called a nigger, coon, blackie, a welfare nigglet, coconut, Uncle Tom, sellout, stupid, turncoat, heathen, nigger, charlatan, cheater, liar, thief, lazy, unfocused, ugly, 
too black, not black enough, undisciplined, a prison bound, nobody and a failure, among other things. He's also been called a child of God, a prophet, a light worker, beacon of success, a lifesaver, a leader of men, a distinguished gentleman, a best friend, highly intelligent, a great businessman, an amazing father, loving to a fault, resilient, an empath, a catalyst, a change maker, a community advocate, handsome, a great soldier, a seeker of love, and a keeper of secrets, among other things. The thing is that Derek only exists at... Uh, Derek exists and all those labels originated from people outside this body and who lack the possession of this mind. When he looks in the mirror, it's through his eyes, an image pr processed through his mind from a singular perspective, be offended or not at the, the work that he does. He's speaking only his truth for this record. If he's already offended you, just hold on. Alternatively, you can learn from his perspective. He is a he's a leader. He's a humanitarian. He is a brilliant mind, and he is the owner of Waffles and Whatnots. And I'm excited to have this brother on the show. We got a chance to meet, and uh, uh, I said, "Oh man, we got to have him on the show because he has so much power and wisdom, knowledge." discipline and things that i know that listeners will be benefiting from as you get it get into his story welcome to the show derek truly an honor to have you on brother thank you brother i appreciate you no doubt no doubt man so let's let's kick the off man and 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 talk about i mean you're a soldier you're you're a chef you're an entrepreneur you're a leader you're so many things um but as you as as stated in your bio it didn't always start it must not started that way uh, so take me through the journey, man, from childhood to adulthood, man. What's that journey been like? Let me, brother, I appreciate being on here. Like, seriously, this is this is an honor. Let me begin by saying that um, or preface this conversation that many people focus on what they do versus who they are. And the intro to my book, uh, those things that were, were called to me at some point in life, some of those things were accurate that I, that I did some of those things, the good things and the bad things. Those were things that I did. Um, they weren't necessarily reflections of who I am. And so with that perspective, um, I grew up in a place called Fort Pierce, Florida. And by the time I was 17 years old, I had already been raped, molested, witnessed murders and suicides, physical abuse, physical neglect, substance abuse, witnessing family members dabbling in and uh prostitution and gang violence and all different types of stuff man um and what it did was was shape me all those things shaped me i also was shaped by watching my mom work back when the minimum wage was four dollars an hour and so my mom was working two or three jobs trying to make ends meet and at times you know she did what she had to do to put food on the table for us so the occasional man would would slide through as a provider for a while you know and she did what she had to do to take care of her kids. She had seven of us. And so watching that and then my my upbringing around, you know, all of the men in my life as a child were in, in prison. You know, I, I started going to prisons when I was about five years old, five or six years old. I started entering prisons with uh, going to visit my dad or going to visit family members. So quite literally by the time I was eight, I knew I had memorized the prison entry procedures. I knew what I could and could not bring through the Sally ports. I knew what I could and couldn't have in my pockets. I knew what I could and couldn't wear. And not only that, but I could instruct others like my sister, my younger sister. 
And so, um, yeah, I, I was built on this platform of resiliency from a young kid, man, because it's, it's binary. You either get through it or you give up, mm. basically. Wow. Wow, man. Had no idea. Wow, you've had to deal with a lot just just from the age of eight. So, and and I can only imagine other things as as we're going to talk about the other the other hills you've had to climb. And I, I think you're a, a true testament of of what it looks like to not give up, even though you can. You know, even though a person could easily, like you said, that binary choice, keep going or or give up. So, so after after going through this childhood, t- take us through. I know you. You know, probably went through high school. That that what was that experience like going into college? Or I mean, sorry, going into military, going to all of those things. Take us into that that part of life. Okay, brother. By the time I got to high school, I didn't have much of a worth for myself because growing up in Fort Pierce, Florida, at that time, you know, everybody said that brother, you you you're either going to end up dead or in jail. There's there's no in between, right? And that's what would be said all the time. Well, let me let me. Uh, say dead jail or you're going to give your life to jesus that was the third option right you're going to give your life to jesus and so by the time i got into high school i had already endured so much in life most of those things that i just mentioned to you i had already experienced those things before entering high school Mm. um and so when i was in high school walking around through this uh campus walking through the hallway there was an rotc instructor that just called to me and he's like, Hey young man, where are you going? Where are you headed? And, uh, I was telling him that I was going to class, but that's not what he was referring to. He was asking me, where am I headed in life? Mm. And I had no idea. I, I really didn't know. And no one up to that point had asked me. Yeah. And so it was just a profound moment. And what he did was, um, he took me out to the shooting range at the ROTC, uh, that the ROTC had in yeah. the back of that high school. And they were at the range that they shooting and he let me shoot their guns. And I grew up hunting small animals with BB guns. So that was right up my alley. And I get back there, man. And I'm just ting, 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 hitting these targets. And he made me go right away and change one of my classes and come join ROTC. So once I joined ROTC, brother, that was a life changer for me. I got to see people from varying backgrounds that, were united for a common goal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about me belonging to the black group. It wasn't about me avoiding the Latino group where I grew up. Um, I grew up in an agricultural um, town as well. So you had the 4-H club and like the country boys type type thing. So it wasn't about, hey, stay away from that group either. ROTC was this just beautiful melting pot of people from all different types of backgrounds. And on Thursdays, we were all wearing the same uniform mm. and marching. They taught me how to march in unison, not only for, for me to get in step with everybody else. Then they taught me how to lead others. So they pulled me out and taught me how to use my voice mm. to command the steps of other people. Yeah. And the lessons that were involved in things like that were just, it was like, what? I can tell somebody forward march. And they start marching and I can tell them to get in step and they get in step. Right. It's just things like that. It sounds so small, but from, for a kid that didn't have any structure growing up, 
you know, uh, beyond don't piss off mama, make sure that these things are done. Like knowing just how much of the house to clean to avoid getting the beating, you know, it was a profound, profound moment, brother. Wow. So how did that so segue into your military career? So <clears throat> I did four years of JROTC and my senior class, we had a pact and we were like, we're all going into the army. So I was one of the first ones to sign up. I signed up when I was 16. And back then they had something called delayed entry program. There were a few of us that signed up at 16. And then the Marines came, the Marine recruiters came and the Marine recruiters took the rest of my class to the Marines. <laughs> oh. So yeah, they, they came and snatched them. But I have to admit, man, they came and the day they came, brother, they were so sharp that I was like, ah, I wonder if I can get out of the army and go to the <laughs> Cause I was already signed up, but here, no, there, brother, I, I've, I've strived to be a man of my word my entire life. So went to the army and, uh, it was amazing. I went to, to Anniston, Alabama to Fort McClellan to become a military policeman. And, uh, even that brother, everything that involves Derek green comes in layers. Just know that. So if it seems like I'm going in a rabbit hole, you can pull me back on track sometimes because I understand how different things are connected, but one of the reasons that one of the primary reasons that I wanted to go into the military, which may sound stupid to some now, but keep in mind, I was a kid at the time. So I was this 16 year old kid when I signed up, when I was about 11, somewhere between 11 and 12, um, my dad went back to prison again and he had just gotten out. And so my dad reached out and he wanted me to come testify on his behalf to say, that he was with me, I was going to be his alibi. Right. But I just could not remember the dates accurately. And even as an 11, 12 year old kid, I didn't want to go in court and lie. And there are so many people that, that would go in there and do that to save their dad. Right. And I, I had this conflict inside of me. And in the end I said, you know, I can come in and testify that we were together here, here, and here. I just don't, the dates didn't make sense to me. All right. So anyway, my dad went to prison and I, I put on this, this backpack of guilt that I started carrying around. Right. Um, and then as the days went on and he started writing letters and I was receiving these letters, Man, I would just add, essentially add rocks to that backpack. And it was heavy, brother. Mm. This thing was weighing down on my shoulders. Did, did he, did he and, ever kind of um, put it on you? Like when, or did you? Yes. Oh, he did. Okay. So there was, there was some anger um, from his perspective in the, in the sense of you're supposed to be my son, my namesake, stand up for me. Mm. And, uh, and then he had me start writing his paperwork. So he would handwrite his court paperwork and send it to me. And I would need to, to type that, right. To send it back to the courts in the proper format. So, um, I started learning how to write, how to type from doing that. But something else was happening at the same time in that I got to read the letters that he was sending to my grandmother, his mom. Now my grandmother was my soul. That, that was my, my ride or die person. And he had a lot of pent up anger in him 
from my grandmother had so to shorten the story my grandmother had to abandon him when he was two in south carolina in segregated south carolina and so like 1960 1962 is when she left him so uh, he had a lot of pent up anger because he went through a lot of trauma as a kid by the time she came and got him when he was 11. And uh, now that he was in prison, in and out of prisons, he blamed her for that. And so my grandmother, who couldn't read that well, would have me read the letters out loud to her. And then, mind you, this is my soul. So then I got to watch my grandmother go through the emotional roller coaster. It wasn't just as I was reading it. It was after I was done reading it the emotions that she went through and I got to see the, the trauma that she kept suffering, you know, asking questions like why he talked to me like that. Doesn't he know I did my best. Mm. He doesn't understand that I couldn't do that. And she started imparting all these different lessons in me. Like baby, stand up and be your own man. Don't blame somebody else for everything that's going through mm. that you're going through in your life, that type of stuff. Anyway, the the military going into the military taught me a bunch of different things brother that that helped get my life on track it taught me first of all that the things that i went through in my upbringing weren't normal it taught me that i wasn't the only one that had a, a daddy that felt these kinds of ways i wasn't the only kid that was holding that kind of guilt about something that they did as it relates to a parent. While everybody didn't necessarily have a parent that was incarcerated, there were things that parents had said to kids that, you know, impacted their life. Um, I learned that it wasn't normal. Like the only hug that I can remember my mom ever given me was when the recruiter came to pick me up to take me to the Miami MEP station. And my mama hugged me in the driveway and told me she loved me. And I don't remember any of the hugs prior to that. I remember a lot of hard lessons. I remember a lot of threats. I remember a lot of get your behind in this car. We're going to church. I remember a lot of you got demons in you that we need to pray those out of you. So you put the mm. olive oil on the forehead type stuff. I remember going fishing. I, I have a lot of memories, just none that involve that nurturing that is necessary for a healthy human being um, growing up. But now being in the military, now that I was made aware of all these various things, it was a decision. And I had a, um, a leader, his name was at the, uh, his name was Aaron Pelzer. And uh, he pulled me in the office, brother. So I got, my first duty station was Hawaii, Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. After I graduated basic training, they sent me to Hawaii. And um, Sergeant Pelzer pulled me into the office one day and he just goes green. Now I'm, I'm standing at that parade rest, you know, NCO talking to me, green. And he's like, relax, man. You're from Florida, right? I was like, yes, Sergeant. And he's like, relax, relax. You ain't got to call me Sergeant, man. My name, my name is Aaron. Let's just talk. Mm. It's like, okay. He's from Maryland. And uh, and he goes, I got a question for you, man. You got, he, he, I see you, so much talent in you. Like, you have so much potential in you. I have a question for you, though. And I was like, what's that? And he goes, why you got to be such a nigga? What? And I was like, Hey, who you talking to? And he was like, you, why you got to be such a nigga? And I was like, I got bro. I was blah, 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 yeah. right. And he's like, see what I'm talking about right there. What, what are you angry for? First of all, it was just a word that I said, 
you're in Hawaii. You have access to Honolulu, Hawaii. Have you ever been to Hawaii before? He's, and he's like, was this your first plane ride? And I said, no, it was my second because I flew to basic training, right? So flying to and from basic training and now flying to Hawaii. And he goes, and, and now look at you. You're around all this opportunity. And yet you brought all those ghetto characteristics with you. Wait, what, what was his? How's that going to help? He's black. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Black guy. And he, and he goes, um, he says, listen, and it, from there it went, listen, young man. Right. And he goes, ghetto is a location. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, ghetto is a mentality, not a location. And he goes, the way that you think and the way I hear you talking to people and the way that you carry yourself, you sound and present yourself as ghetto. And if you learn to actually master yourself, you can be the greatest soldier that came through this unit. Rather, within three years, within three years, that man had me as the number one military policeman in the United States Army. He put me through a transformation like none other. So to this day, I call him my pops. Whenever we talk, he's pops. That's my dad. He saw T.D. Jakes has a quote that says powerful people see potential in people. And Aaron Pelzer was that person that I got there and he saw it. He saw it right away. And he also saw that I was sabotaging myself because I had horrible habits for self-sabotage, right? Amazing opportunities that will pop up, but little things like somebody saying the wrong thing to me and I go off, right? But I go off like I'm back in Fort Pierce. And so he helped structure or provide some structure to my life. And then to begin the process of how often do you read? Well, I, I never cared to read, right? Um, the Florida education system at that time wasn't really big on let me educate you. It was let me indoctrinate you so that you can become an employee. But I'm not even indoctrinating you to become an employee of a high paying at a high, high paying job. I'm indoctrinating you to go into this low level minimum wage workforce because that's what we need. We need more ditch diggers. We need more people to go do landscaping. We need more people to do the labor jobs. Right. It wasn't about I'm going to create you uh, or tell you that you can be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, any of those things. And so anyway, all that to say throughout my life at, at any given moment, brother, I've gone through enough that I could have been a drug addict. I could have been homeless. I could have been a perpetrator of sexual assaults. I could have been a domestic violence perpetrator. There's so many different directions. I could be in prison. I could be in a gang. There's so many different things that I could be and I'm none of them. And what I'm doing with my life now, and sorry, I've been talking so long. What I'm doing with my life now is dissecting my life from, uh, as of January 19th of 2023, uh, 2024, 2023. That's what you're in 2023. Sorry. As of January 19th of this year, it's literally taking the previous 42 years of my life and chopping that up, putting those in books, and I mean, going down to the level that would make some therapists uncomfortable because in doing that, I'll be able to show other people, listen, I went through this thing 
or these things, these series of things, um, these adverse childhood experiences. And I'm willing to break these down to as deep a level as I need to until you can see in yourself how you can climb out of that hole and escape that barrier that's standing in front of you. Wow, dude. That, that's powerful, man. I, I'm so glad you took us down that journey, right? A lot of times um, we don't get to, we get the surface stuff of what the person has done, but we don't get to see the the character building that transpired in one's life. And, and even in your, your military career, which, which I've never heard of till I read about your background that you were able to do community efforts as a sexual assault victim, advocate, domestic violence. So those things you said you could have become, you're now reversing for other people. So a social suicide inter interventionist and, and, a, and, and a master in resiliency, uh, a trainer. Can you, can you speak to, can you speak to that work? How did that, you know, this transformation you you've gone through here with your mentor, AKA father pops, uh, of three years of development. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're number one, uh, military policeman. And now you're impacting other lives with things that could have, you could have well been on the other side of that. So can you talk to us? How did you get into that and what, what that experience was like? Absolutely. So Steve jobs has a quote in his speech where he says that you can only connect the dots looking back, right? You can't connect the dots looking forward. And so with mentors like Sarm Pelzer, they taught me to begin looking backwards to try and connect the dots. And as I connected the dots, I realized that to move forward, I needed to become the change that I needed. I needed to become essentially, I simultaneously need to become the change that I needed uh, for the future, the man that I needed to become. But I also needed to to recognize the change that I needed from the past and address all those things. And so I've had other mentors that were able to help me. And one of them was a therapist. Right. And this therapist taught me to go back. She was using this process called EMDR. Um, and in this process of EMDR and us going back, my brain has always been gifted at connecting things connecting dots. I am at least at Steve Jobs level of connecting things that seem random to other people. I call it being a fridge cook. You know, when you grow up, uh, the kitchen is empty to everybody else. There's nothing in the fridge. There's nothing in the cupboards or the pantry. And there's that person that can walk in the kitchen and open it up and be like, okay. And they throw something together, mm -hmm. right? These seemingly disconnected ingredients go into this beautiful dish at the end. That's what I'm doing with my life. Mm -hmm. And so becoming the change that I needed, um, when it comes to, for instance, sexual assault, it's, I can walk around and continue complaining about the fact that I was raped. First of all, I wasn't able to tell anybody. Um, I held that close, but then, um, as a military policeman, I remember I responded to a rape and this young lady was so distraught. And she was just basically like, my life is over. I can't believe this happened. Da, 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 da. And I remember standing there, you know, and I'm thinking, girl, he didn't even go inside you. And I dismissed her level of trauma. Right. And when I wrote my report, somebody came back to come talk to me. 
to break it down for me that, hey, you know how two people can get in a traffic accident? One person can get in a rental car and drive for the rest of the day. They'll never work. It's not a big deal. The other person will never want to drive again. They were in the same traffic accident. Don't dismiss somebody's trauma or the impact of a life event on someone else's life. Learn to understand where they are. And so as as the universe keeps teaching me or God keeps bringing these people into my life, I listen and then I'm able to connect things. And it's like, oh, Derek, how are you going to be an effective military policeman if you can't learn to listen to people's stories? And the reason you can't learn to listen to people's stories is because as they're talking, you know, a, a wife that says that a wife that says uh, my husband slapped me. Right. And me instantly going, my mama slapped me all the time. I got beat up. Da, 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 da. So I'm dismissing her trauma. Mm. I'm minimizing and dismissing her trauma. So I'm not able to help her. So through this process of self-discovery and, and self-mastery, essentially as a military policeman, I said, you know what? Let me go and become a, let me get certified as a victim advocate. And I did. And it was like, whoa. Oh my God. The things that I started learning within myself, right? And then I'd respond to domestic violence and I'd realize I was in that same pattern. So the military, I requested it and the military sent me to, uh, it's called Divot Domestic Violence Intervention Course. So they sent me to Divot. Mm -hmm. And I became a domestic violence victim advocate. And I was like, whoa. Right. And I respond to suicides. Some were successful and some were attempts. And some were just cry outs for help. But I felt I, I remember one specific lady in Hawaii. I arrived there. She's on the ground. She was gorgeous, bro. Gorgeous. And I remember looking at her like thinking, why would you want to kill yourself? Now I'm waiting on the the ambulance to arrive and I'm doing my thing. She's laying in this pool of blue puke because she swallowed all these Tylenol PMs. Mm. And she started telling me her story. Like in and out of coherency, but she started telling me her story. And she's, as, as it turns out, you know, her husband would keep her locked in the house. He didn't allow her to leave the house at all. Her neighbors didn't know she existed. And her husband would give her half a pizza a week. That's what she had to eat for the entire week was that half a pizza because he wanted her to look a certain way. And all the things and I'm standing there as a military policeman and she was one of those people that got me crying, bro. Mm. And I usually don't. I'm very stout when it comes to or stoic when it comes to those things. And I was just like, what? That's crazy. So it, it quite literally made me want to go shoot her husband. Mm. I, I became an instant protector of her. Mm. And, um, after that, it was, I need to go in and learn about suicide. So I went and became a suicide intervention, um, person and a suicide intervention instructor eventually. And then everything clicked together. When I went through suicide intervention training, all that stuff clicked together. Mm. It was like, this person doesn't value themselves because they were molested. This person was, a, was uh, sexually assaulted. This person was um, 
a victim of domestic violence. This person went through that trauma and that trauma and that trauma. So now that put me in the space of trauma and dealing with the trauma. Right. And I was good at suicide intervention. I used to go into schools and I would teach the, the staff of the schools, the teachers and the nurses, essentially uh, suicide first response. Like if there's a person standing on the bridge, there's a kid ready to kill themselves right now. They're holding a knife in the bathroom and you're that person that has to walk in that bathroom. You need to be able to establish a connection instantly if you're actually trying to save that person's life. So in the respect of a person standing on a bridge, right? Um, I'll give you a real life example. Yeah. I was called once, one time to this, um, this guy who was actually a police officer and he's in the vehicle and he's got his service weapon and he's going to blow his brains out. And so they called me to come in and talk with him. And I came in, nobody can approach the car. So they asked me to come in and talk with him. And I came and he let me, uh, like we established a instant trust, um, Stephen Covey's speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And I got into the passenger seat, right? And everybody's, it's one of those things, don't go, don't go in there green, da, 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 right? Now they're ready to put a bullet in him to keep him from killing himself mm -hmm. or injuring anybody else. Right. So now I have police officers on the outside aiming in and I have this guy in the car with a gun to his head and I get in the passenger seat and we just start talking. And what I realize is that this guy has been as a he's a new police officer and he was hazed or what they thought was hazing the other police officers. But the, the reality was he was raped. Oh, my God. And because he was raped, he couldn't tell anybody. He couldn't open his mouth to say that he'd been penetrated by other men. And these men, he's supposed to work around them now. And they're all senior to him. And how is he going to, is anybody going to believe him? How is he going to say it? Da, 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 da. And I'm in there having this conversation with this guy and just realizing how much pain he has. Now, something that I came to to understand through processing all these things and going through my own therapy and becoming the change that I needed in the world was you have to look at it like this. There may be somebody that has issues speaking publicly. They don't want to get in front of the camera, right? They don't want to get in front of the camera or they get really anxious when it's time for them to speak publicly. You call on them and they just uh, they clam up. Usually. It's because at some point in their life, you can go back, you can have that person trace back to their childhood. There's a moment, there was a moment where they were supposed to get up and speak. They expected of themselves to get up and speak and to be articulate and to just nail this thing, but they didn't. Something happened and their reality didn't meet their expectations. And because the reality didn't meet the expectations, it put a block right there, a doubt that they're not capable of doing whatever that thing yeah. was. Let's just keep on the vein of public speaking. So if you if you can think of it in the in the respect of a snapshot, somebody doing a screenshot on the camera, that's what it is. There was a screenshot taken at that moment in life, mm. but all the emotion 
that's attached to that screenshot. Unlike when we take a screenshot of the camera here, right? You may take a screenshot of, of this interview or of a particular thing. Um, if you're talking with your wife and you see her smile a certain way, like you got her cracking up on the phone, you may screenshot yeah. that. There's memories and emotions associated with that screenshot. And every time you pull that picture back up, you're like, oh, I got her to smile. Look at, look at how beautiful her smile was that day. Every trauma that you have and every, literally every block that you have in life, at some point there's a screenshot in an earlier version of you and it has emotions attached to it. And now every time you get ready to perform that thing again, that screenshot is now like a ghost and it pops back up every single time. So it's time for you to go do a speech now. Let's say you're, you're 35 years old. It's time for you to go and present. Now, you know your stuff. You've been to school. You've been doing this for years in private. But somebody says, David, I need you to get up in front of this crowd of 500 and walk them through becoming the best digital marketing um, and influence creator out there. Right now in private, you may be accepting payments of, of tens of thousands of dollars from these people. But now it's time for you to get up in front of a crowd and speak. And that snapshot whew, pops back up. David, you know, you can't do this. You know, you're going to stutter. You know, you won't remember your questions while you're interviewing people or while you're going through this thing. What if somebody challenges you? Da, 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 da. And the anxiety starts to build up, build up, build up, build up. And before you know it, before you get on that stage, you're sweating profusely. You're forgetting your presentation. Some people can literally get to the point where they forget they even have a presentation behind them. Right. And they just start stuttering and stammering and they, they can't get it out. That's that ghost. And until people learn to go back and talk to that ghost to free that ghost, just like deleting screenshots or deleting pictures as you go through your phone, certain pictures you don't want people to right. see, you need to go through and delete them, mm. not just delete them, right? Because when you delete them, they go into a, a what the trash bin or whatever that's on your phone. So now you got to go in there and empty the trash bin as well. Right. You have, need to truly delete it. And until you do that, it is always going to be there to block mm -hmm. you. So that was a very long story. And I apologize. No. But that's that's what I'm here for. And in writing these books and existing as I am now, so it's being able to tell people take us into that moment. Like that. So how did you how did the police officer how do you guys I imagine right so now you're you're probably identifying this block right you you I I mean I've never heard it I didn't know there's that kind of hazing and even in the police realm that's that's horrible um but he went through that so how do you how did you get him out of this cancel this suicide essentially how did this by so the it's not a trick the skill of suicide intervention is this it's understanding most people just want to say just hop right in there and be like don't kill yourself your life is valuable or what are you crazy you're god's child you're gonna burn in hell da, 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 da. right by the time a person has got to the point where they're ready to put a bullet in their head they've already processed through all those things that you're about to start throwing at them mm -hmm. right they've already been dismissed so many times by the people around them they don't want to hear that crap that's not the perspective that i come from I want to get into this situation where you're standing in a pool of shit up to your, and pardon the language, brother, 
you're you're standing in a pool of crap up to your nose that's all you can smell and it's all you can taste you can't even open your mouth because that's what's flooding in nothing makes sense to you the the ammonia is burning your eyes is that bad and you want it to end you're in the most pain that you've ever been in in your life you want that to end my job is to go down in that pool with you and to get to eye level with you all right i'm six one so if i'm dealing with a person that's that's five foot nine i need to shrink down a little bit because i can't stand above you at all i need to come down to where you are i need to submerge right here see it recognize where you are and then i can stick my mouth above the crap so I can have a conversation with you like, man, this sucks. I, I I truly see why you want to kill yourself. And if I was in your situation, I'd probably want to kill myself too. Like this, this is horrible. They raped you like this. They, they did this, this, that, that, and that. And I understand the power dynamic that they just took from you also. Now as a new officer, you're walking around and you're wondering who knows. Who else knows? Now they can come to you at any moment and threaten you. They can blackmail you. Or we're going to tell. Da, 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 da. And because it was a group of them, they can say that you wanted it. They can say that you wanted to role play this thing. Their stories all sync up. And man, they're all cops. They're all seasoned veterans also. So who's going to believe you? You're the new guy. Blah, blah, blah. And even if you go to somebody else... And they, that other person went through the exact thing that you went through, but they haven't processed through theirs. They may tell you to suck it up. Right. So you have to get to their level and their their mode of thinking so that you can get them to understand. I see you. I validate you. I believe you. And this sucks. This sucks horribly. Right. And then it's a simple thing after you establish a credible connection and you can't BS about it. After you establish that credible connection, right? I'm down in this cesspool and this person is just surrounded by darkness. My job is to never forget that I have a flashlight in my back pocket. When the person is ready to walk out because I can, I can find something that makes them want to live. By talking with them. Oh, you have kids? Yeah, da, 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 da. Sometimes it's the kids. Sometimes it's as simple as, oh, you have a dog? Who's going to walk the dog? Did you already set that up where somebody's going to take care of your dog? No. No, the dog walked the shit. The dog is locked in the house. He can't even go to the bathroom. And it's like, oh, man. Well, listen, can I? Once we're done here. Can I get you to agree that you'll stay alive long enough? I'm not going to mess with you. Can I get you to agree to stay alive long enough for me to go check on your dog or for us to make arrangements for your dog? Not for me to just run off and do it myself, but you come with me so we can make arrangements for your dog. Right. It's all it takes is something very small. It's, it's never something huge ever. It's always something very small, something as simple as. I'm your, I'll be your victim advocate. I'm not just your suicide interventionist. 
But in this particular situation, hey, I'm also a sexual assault victim advocate. So just so you know, everything you just told me is confidential. It never has to leave this car. If you want it to leave this car, I'm your advocate. I'm that soldier standing next to you and we're going to fight this war together. You're never alone in it. And you can always call me. We can talk. I'll connect you with resources. I'll protect you to the best of my ability, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes, brother, it's just the fact that somebody can tell somebody that believes them. Mm. That's enough. Sometimes that's enough. That's beautiful. Wow, bro. I, I love I love you. You shared that. And, and, and I knew we were going to go deep into the personal side. And I appreciate you willing to go there because this is going to set some people free. Right. There's a lot of people dealing with this very issue. These very things. I believe that people hearing this uh, podcast, there will be some suicides canceled just from merely hearing this interview today. So thank you for that. Um, what what I want to go into is all that said, everything that we've gotten to at this at this point. What what is your most dominant gift, Derek? I know you have many things. Uh, I've had some conversations with you, and <laughs> you're a deep deep brother. There's so many talents and gifting, and but when you think about your most dominant, what is that? So. My most dominant gift is vision, vision and creativity. Um, I don't see the person I see through them. So we share a mentor and, and uh, Dr. Myron Golden, and he used a perfect example, which is an apple. And he asked the question, what is an apple? And everybody responds, it's a fruit. It's a, it comes in different colors, red, yellow, green, blah, 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 different varieties, you know, Honeycrisp, Fiji, da, 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 or Fuji. And that's true. Think of the outside of the apple as what you do. That's what you do. And that's what you represent. So all those different shades of apples, you know, humans come in all different shades, right? All those different flavors or types of apples. Human come in all different types. Consider those labels, right? Um, I'm black, um, LGBTQT, um, I'm this, I'm that, da, 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 right? But my gift has always been seeing the seed at the core of the apple. And in seeing the seed, it's always seeing the potential of the seed. I've always, since I was a kid, been able to realize that if you plant one apple seed into the ground and you begin to grow the tree make sure when you cut the grass when you're mowing the lawn that you don't run over that tree because that tree is going to produce more apples mm. now when that tree produces apples i can take those apples and i can make an apple pie or i can core all those apples and take the seeds out not or it's and plant those seeds and eventually I'll have an orchard. And when you have turned your life into an orchard that's producing all of these fruit, you'll never run out of food right. ever. You can literally reseed the entire planet's apple supply from one seed. That's all it takes. So in doing this right here, brother, my greatest gift, I'm putting that to work to motion and in, in motion now 
If I can tap into people and get them to realize, I don't care what you do, what you do. There's other people that are going to be incredibly fascinated about what you do. Right. I listen to, I quite literally listen to, um, famous people. I listen to doctors, lawyers, the cashier at the grocery store, blah, 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 all these various people. And they all focus on what they do. And it's like, yeah, but I can see who you are. I can see who you are. And if I can get, if I can eat through the flesh of that apple to get to the core and be able to get you to realize who you actually are, we can plant you and you can grow and multiply. Mm -hmm. This is what the greatest speakers are able to do. The greatest influencers are able to do that. They're able to tell you, David, I see greatness in you. I see something amazing in you. And hey, you're doing this thing right now and you're using the 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 principles of King Solomon or some other person from the Bible. But man, I think you're just as powerful as him. You just have a different message. Right. And it's like you can get that. And once somebody gets that right, not everybody is an apple is the other thing is I'm using the example of an apple, but some people are oranges, some are grapefruit. Some are grapes. Some are worms, right? As crazy <laughs> as it is. Everything, everything. You hear people say things like, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. I accept everyone. Da, 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 da. Don't be colorblind with me. See me. See me. Because going back to the apples, you go into the grocery store and you see all these varieties of apples. How many times has somebody passed that first row of apples let's say those are the red delicious apples right those apples are too small or they look too shiny they have too much wax on them i'm passing by those and i'm going over here to the honey crisps right and that's the apple that i'm going to eat or i'm going to go grab a granny smith apple well what does that apple feel about that like what what impact does that have on you being picked last for the football team Right. Or a pickup game. Those ghosts, those snapshots, they exist. Whatever happened, those, that trauma snapshot, it exists. And Dr. Wayne Dyer has a quote that says, it's never the snake bite that kills you. It is always the poison coursing through your veins. That thing right there. And even if you, you know, for the highly intelligent person that wants to challenge that and be like, well, there's, there's also constrictors. Yeah. True story. And a constrictor can bite you, but it's only by the, the squeezing, the gradual squeezing. Every time you, you exhale, it gets tighter and tighter. That's what kills you. Until you can learn to go back and address the poison, the venom that's coursing through your veins, addressing each one of those snapshots, your life is essentially stuck. You have those blocks. And because you have those blocks, you can never truly be your greatest you. Because if I can remove that block, let's going back to the, the example of the speaker, the public speaker and the anxiety. If I can remove that block from that person, holy crap, what can they do? Yeah. And then what can they do as they answer that question for themselves? Because I'll ask that question of them, man, what can you do? Right. And you realize that you move with the power of a God. Because yeah. life is what you make it. And if life is what you make it, did we did we not 
go to Bible school or Bible study and it says, you know, God created the, the world. So if, if now I'm telling you or I've gotten you to realize that life is what you make it. God gave you life. It's a simple thing that I always say that that it's like this for me. The greatest gift I've ever been given is what you asked. The greatest gift I've ever been given is life. God gave me life. What I do with that life is my gift back to God as a sign of appreciation and gratitude for life. And the greatest thing that I can do is to discover why God gave me life and live in that purpose. Man, you're speaking the premise of this entire show, man. Exactly. So speaking of apples and cores, apples are in the recipe or the core recipes of uh, waffles and whatnot. So take us through this visionary creativity gift, and um, and you I know it, I know it involves um, your mother as well, and um, as you cared for her uh, going through um, some 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 challenging things and health health wise, and and you navigated through that, and soon short after you created waffles and whatnot or maybe it was created before or during but but the 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 restaurant appeared so take us into the to this revolutionary restaurant which um let me just highlight on this because <laughs> for listeners that don't know um this restaurant has gotten so much acclaim guy ferry has come uh dumpster i think dumpsters dive-ins and drive-ins i always mess that up diners drive-ins and diners drive-ins and dives, <laughs> drive-ins yeah. and dives. Uh, <laughs> as well as triple d the, in the facebook accelerator all this all this thing because building this craze and so i'm gonna I'm shut up and you, you you break us down break us down for that for that whole journey right there as you're helping your mom and now you're navigating and creating using your visionary and creative gift to create this restaurant Waffles and whatnot, brother, is probably the most complex food system that's ever existed because of the layers that exist within it. But it's also one of the simplest. So for those just right off the bat that want to know numbers wise, it's like I've created a, a fast food system, a um, fast food system that last year brought me a net profit of uh, 19.74%, almost 20% at a time where the national average for restaurants is about five to 7%. Right. So. Obviously, I did something there. Um, if we want to go to the, the the catalyst that that spawned it all, it's just a realization um, where the first sin cre- the first sin man did was what ate from the tree of life, right? Uh, when Jesus needed to think and reconnect with God, what did he do? He fasted, and when he was tempted, it was through food. Right. When you go to a restaurant in a poorer community or underserved community, you don't typically have things like these amazing salads and these amazing cold pressed juices. What do you have? You have this new Chick-fil-A spicy sandwich. Right. You have the Waffle House. You have IHOP. You have Golden Corral. Blah, blah, blah. And then you eat this food and you get the itis. You can feel it. I'm sure you've been to a place and overindulged. And then you're like, oh, I'm sleepy. Sure. Oh, I'm tired. That lethargy that sets in. So if you think of it from a perspective of productivity and pulling out your greatness, 
How can I ever pull out your greatness if you're constantly in a state of itis? If you're constantly being blocked by the food, right? The food you ingested and your body's need to break down that food. Now you can't think clearly. So I can never get you to see that you're a king because you can't think clearly. Take that. We'll, we'll put a pin in that part. Now, my wife was going through breast cancer and on the third day of breast cancer was always her worst day. So on that third day uh, of chemo, she couldn't eat or hold anything down. And, and I watched her roll. Like, for my mom and my wife both had cancer at the same time. And I quite literally contemplated putting a bullet in both of their heads at that level, watching people go through pain. And, and both of them have asked me, I don't think a husband should ever have to experience having his wife that he's been watching in writhing pain ask, kill me. Because the level of, of internal conflict and conversation that arises from that, just man. And I contemplated it. I absolutely did. Right. For my mom and my wife. So going back to the restaurant, um, I wanted something that if my wife could only hold down two or three bites of food, she would get some nutritional value from it. Right. And so I created this pancake recipe that years later, after my wife had died, I turned into a waffle recipe. My mom was still alive and battling cancer. And my mom, I watched, I went to Florida and I, I saw my mom. It was this disease called pemphigus and you can Google it, but be warned. It looked like somebody had taken bloody cornflakes and gorilla glued them to my mom's mouth, to her lips. And then it looked like somebody opened her mouth and poured a vial of fire ants into her mouth. So all of the bumps and the pus uh, things that were in her mouth. And I'm looking at this woman that she has to eat through that. She still needs to eat and drink and swallow. So the level of pain that she was in was amazing. And it's because she had so many pesticides in her system from the food that she ate growing up. You know, things like growing up in Florida where we're, we're proud to grow our own collard greens and our own turnip greens and our own, you know, produce. But I remember as a kid, my grandma and my mama had me out there with Roundup, right? Throwing the powder on the collard greens to keep the worms away and deworming, like putting the stuff on the tomatoes so the worms don't eat the tomatoes and stuff like this. Never knowing that there's a chemical called glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup. And glyphosate, quite literally, um, somebody can fact check me on this. The term GMO, genetically modified organism, was brought into existence as a way of defining what happens as a byproduct of glyphosate use. So when you people will probably be more familiar with the term Roundup, which is the brand, right? The brand name. But the chemical itself is glyphosate. Well, after um, after a plant has been introduced with glyphosate, it literally changes 
the structure of the, the plant, right? It's not like it was initially. This is why it's called a genetically modified organism, a GMO. Another way of saying GMO, non-GMO is glyphosate free. But that causes a branding issue because glyphosate is a brand name product as well owned by this corporation. And so it's like saying that um, it's the difference of saying that uh, um, Wheaties is killing us versus saying we need to do something about these high fiber cornflakes. Gotcha. See the yeah. difference, mm -hmm. right? Because if you say Wheaties, you're going to get sued. Right. You say high fiber cornflakes or high fiber flakes. Right. So the industry is, is a mastery of language yes. and, and, um, what I'm doing with waffles and whatnot, bringing this back. Uh, let me add one more layer to that and then I'll, I'll explain what I'm doing. So one more layer to that is that my dad has been in and out of prisons basically my entire life since I was six. And the few times that he does get out, right. My dad has always run kitchens in the prisons. And when he gets out, he goes back into food service. He goes and tries to get a job at something like Shoney's or, or Denny's or something like that. Well, my dad got out in 2013 and that was, he was supposed to be done. That was at 22 and a half years. He was supposed to be done. And I was, I was ecstatic. Um, like my dad is out. Da, da, da. No, that was more than 22 years. Anyway, I'm like, my, my dad is out, blah, blah, blah. Well, at the same time, my wife was on her deathbed and my dad, I was going through school to become a, a therapist, a licensed professional counselor. And my dad, when he got out, he's like, I want you to be my therapist. And I said, I can't. First, I, I'm not certified yet. I'm getting my master's, but I, I haven't gone through the certification process. And a lot of my trauma revolves around you. So I can't be that person I get you. to address your issues. Right. You and I need to have some conversations and sit in a therapy office yeah. together, a therapist's office. And so he was really adamant, like, no, I need you to da 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 And there's a lot of things that you have to address, brother. Uh, th there was a lot in that man. And I see it. He's a very uh, troubled soul. You'll say you can say that because I wasn't able to go to Florida and to be his therapist. And because when he went into prison, text messages didn't exist. Cell phones didn't exist. And now everything is like text this tweet that Facebook messenger me this. Hey, WhatsApp me this. Da, 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 da. I don't know if WhatsApp was back then, but you get what, where I'm going with it. He freaked out one day and he just went and robbed an IHOP and then basically waited in the parking lot for the police to come take him back to prison. That's what he was familiar with. So he went back to prison. So with waffles and whatnot, when this was first, the concept was first conceived. I didn't call it waffles and whatnot. I called it convict kitchen. I built this as a way as a franchise model from the very beginning and saying, Hey, listen, if one in 15 black men are currently incarcerated and one in three will see prison in our lifetime, when they get out and they're labeled felon criminal and they're, they're subjected to or regulate relegated to minimum wage jobs for the rest of their days where they have to work two or three jobs to make ends meet. This means that they're still not able to be a dad. They're 
still not able to look in the mirror and be proud of themselves as a provider. Right. They're, they're never going to be able to see the seed inside of themselves because society will always for the rest of their days tell them and beat them down to say you're a criminal. So you're worth less than everybody else. I'm not saying you're worthless. You have some value, but get your ass over there. I'll give you $10 an hour. If you be good, I'll give you an extra quarter in a year. In fact, I'll give you a quarter every other year past in. And there are people that accept that to say, Yasa. Okay, sir. <laughs> Right. And they go out to work. There's other people that swallow their pride to be like, got to do what I got to do. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a provider. If I got to work 24 hours out today, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And they go do it until their body breaks down. There's somebody else that goes, man, I was getting three meals a day. I had a place to sleep. I had to stay within a certain system. I had friends or at least people that I could trust. Going back. So in building waffles and whatnot, I structured this convict kitchen thing so that if my dad ever did get out of prison again, I could take him from day one. Come here. This time, let me wrap a success system around you. Not one rooted in failure, not one rooted in and in, in furtherance of the mentality of you are worth less than everyone else. No, 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 no. Let me take you and tap to that seed inside of you, especially because he's run kitchens his entire career, his entire life, not career, but his entire life. So you have a level of understanding and knowledge within the food industry that the person that has an MBA doesn't let me grab you and throw you in this kitchen. And as I throw you in this kitchen, brother, I'm going to wrap all types of success metrics around you. Right. Not just about, hey, I want you to run this kitchen. I'm going to teach you how to use the system. It's also, you know what? That therapist that you needed. I got you. Hey, that exercise program that you loved. I got you. Those people that you liked being around. I got you. But not just in the respect of I want you to sit in a room with people that that you've been in prison with. Right. Or, or that have also been incarcerated. No, man. No. Go deeper. Go much, 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 much deeper. I want you sitting in a room with people that, you know what? If you were a top in prison, if you were one of those dominant men that you're not gay, let me just throw it out there. You're not gay, but you were a taker. Like you, you took what you want from other men. And that's just how the prison system is. Let me not beat you up for that. Let me put you in a room with some other guys that have been that so you can reconnect at least for now because we're going to attach a therapist to that group as well to help all y'all process through that whether at the end of it you now identify as being bi or gay or or what's the term uh hetero there's a term for it i forget the new term man there's so many freaking terms however you identify at the end of that like i'm not going to cast judgment on you i just want you to see that you're not alone in whatever you do. And then there's this, there's this thing, brother, that is, if you, so I'm not a religious person, I'm just a deeply spiritual person. 
and I can pick wisdom from various places. If you're a child of God, you're a creation of God, you are made in his own image. And if you believe that God doesn't make mistakes, then why are you allowing man for the rest of your days to tell you how many mistakes you're making? Man is constantly saying you're not smart enough. You're a felon. You're not fast enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not. Da, 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 da. They're constantly telling you, put on these eyelashes, put on this makeup, uh, wear this, don't wear that, blah, blah, blah. For the rest of your days, they're moving you further and further and further and further away from what God created you as to the point where we have people like our black community, our sisters feel that their hair is nappy, that they need to go and put in hair extensions to, to wear, you know, Filipinos hair or people from Thailand and stuff like this. Like that's the, the Indian hair, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and we've been brainwashed to be proud that that's what we represent. If you're and, and you'll hear these people say like, like it makes me feel good, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it makes me feel pretty. Yeah. This by default, this means that any other time that you're looking in the mirror without all of that, those attachments, those accoutrements or whatever you call them. Every time you look in the mirror, you think that you are less than. That's the automatic truth. If you feel that you have to put on makeup in order to look your best, it means that you also feel that God made a mistake yeah. when you look in the mirror without makeup on because mm. you're ugly. Wow. You're God's creation and God created you ugly. Mm. What I'm trying to help people do with waffles and whatnot, with Derek Green as a brand, with every aspect of who I am is to be able to say, no, you are beautiful as you are. You have to learn to embrace who you are. And if so, we can move forward. The restaurant was created with that in mind. It's, it's structured as a um, park. It's like a food truck inside of a building that has a park. And that park, as I stood there, brother, it was, I asked, what is something, where's a place where everybody can meet and everybody's on level playing ground and it was literally a playing ground a park you take your kids to the park and within two three minutes they've met a new best friend they come running up to you daddy 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 this is justin right justin can be white justin can be indian justin can be gay straight it doesn't matter or like have feminine properties more manly properties whatever it or traits it doesn't matter Justin can be poor. Justin can, uh, his parents can be poor. His parents can be rich. They can live in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. None of that matters. They could have pulled up in a Bentley or they could have walked pushing a stroller. The kids have made a new best friend. They don't see any of that. If, if I can create a, a environment where the food is the healthiest fast food that exists that I've found. Let me get back to that too. Yeah. Where, where you can sit in this place and everybody can come together. Wear your, your MAGA hat. That's cool. Next year is going to be somebody wearing a Black Lives Matter hat. That's cool. Or the Black Panther hat. That's cool. 
right? Let's sit down and eat and talk and understand not what we do. Those are all reflections of what we do. You wear a MAGA hat. I wearing a MAGA hat means I associate with this group, right? That's something that you do. But you can also decide, you know what? You guys attack the U.S. Capitol. I no longer believe in what you you believe in. We're not in alignment. So now I'm over here. And now your 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 do has changed. What you do has changed. Right. And that's the that's why you can't focus on what a person does, because they always have the ability to change yeah, that. That's true. But who you are at your core. When I hear you say your values don't align with. That what I want to know is, well, what are your values? Because maybe we're in closer alignment than you think. Maybe we've just had all of these things from society drive a wedge between us. But, you know, I'm not conservative. I'm not a Democrat. Maybe we're in, in alignment if we talk and actually understand what is it that we stand for? Oh, oh, OK, cool. You want safer schools? I'm there. You you want, you know, you don't want to disband the police. You just don't want to be killed by the police for running the stop sign. Oh, we're cool. You want people to be able to exist, you know, as a as a homosexual, as a lesbian, as a transsexual, as a however they identify. You want to be able to respect them. You just don't want when they come next to your kids for the nutsack to be hanging out through the, the short shorts. Oh, OK, I got it. Or you want to have a deeper conversation to. Because your kid invariably is going to come up and say, Daddy, is that a boy or a girl? Right. So it's like maybe we're in better alignment. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to to cast that judgment. But that goes to the park portion of waffles and yeah. whatnot. And it works amazingly well. You see people exchanging dishes, bro. Last night, having David Banner in the restaurant talking uh, before he came, um, I had asian people i had white people i had latinos black people people from varying backgrounds there were millionaires in there there were people that are trying to figure out where's their next meal coming from in there that's waffles and whatnot because at some point everybody's just talking about the food yeah. and then they start talking about their life tell us about the food right because you've got this recipe you've developed and it's just went bonkers, man, like crazy. People are from all over the world <laughs> want to have it, experience it. It's a craze online. Talk to us about this recipe. And and then also I want I want you to speak on before we wrap up today, I want you to speak on the franchise model that you have and that's gonna roll out to to you know take over the franchise game. All right. So the food itself. Um let me open the window. So I'm originally a Floridian, uh, but now I'm in Alaska and it's crazy, bro. So when it starts to get like 60 to 70 degrees, I start sweating. Wow. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bodies change. Um, so when it comes to the food, it's this thing of when I was a kid, we used to have to take uh, castor yeah. oil, right? That was a, a remedy for everything. But castor oil, if you just take a teaspoon of it, will make you puke. It's that bad. So how you give somebody castor oil is you take a spoon, teaspoon of sugar, and you put the castor oil on that. And then the kid eats it. And now they can swallow it. 
right? And so there was just this, there was this revelation, this epiphany that I had, and it was involving the industrial food complex. Um, looking at MREs one day, meals ready to eat in the military. Um, I had never seen a greater concentration of cancer causing chemicals in a consumable package. And I'm looking at this and going, this is what we're supposed to eat. We're literally giving ourselves cancer. The military is giving us cancer. It's causing us to eat all of these, these things that the human body can't process and that California has shown is linked to cancer. But because we're soldiers and property of the US government, we're basically lab rats and we signed our life away. That's, that's what it is. And I'm like, wow, okay. Can I make a better MRE? Can I talk to my commander? And even though I was a military policeman, it was like, can I talk to my commander and, and offer to cook for the unit? Let me make something that's more nutritious. And because my wife and my mother have been going through cancer treatment, um, I understood more things about nutrition. And so my commander said yes. And I started developing better menus and better things. Um, that translated into waffles and whatnot as well. I found that the best, best vehicle for carrying food is a waffle. I can hide a lot of stuff in a waffle. So I've actually made over a hundred different flavors of waffles, all depending on what I want to put out there. What, what is the goal that I want to achieve? So an example would be your kids may not like veggies. They don't want to eat veggies. You can't force them to eat veggies, right? In the same respect that sugar is not healthy for you, but the castor oil, your body needed that, right? So you were using poison as a vehicle to put the cure inside the body. I know it's, it, yeah, there's a conflict there, but I get it. So flour is not healthy for the human body. We're not supposed to be eating flour. However, baked goods are an amazing vehicle for people. They're used to eating bread, cakes, pies, all these different things, waffles. So buns, you know, when you go to get burger or chicken sandwich or any of that stuff, bread, 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 bread. Cool. What can I put in that bread to counter the effects of the bread and the effects of everything else in your body? So that bread is going to convert into sugar in your body. Um, and because of that, let me help stabilize it. So if I get your body to process it at a slower rate, then I can prevent that sugar spike that you're going to have. So is there a way to do that? Yes. How can I do that? I can have you drink hibiscus tea before you eat. And then in that waffle, I can put your daily dose of the highest quality Ceylon cinnamon. I can source, right? Ceylon cinnamon specifically. And now it forces the flour to be absorbed by your body as a time release, right? And because you have that time release, you also don't get the itis. Mm -hmm. And then there's things like, hey, my mom needs, uh, she was taking this coconut pill, this huge horse pill, I used to call it. She had a, a tackle box of pills that she had to take. And so I looked in this tackle box of pills that she was taking, and I was like, I can replace that with food, that with food, that with food, that with food to be able to get those nutrients out. So, okay. Um, and then you look at things like turmeric, like she had a daily dose of turmeric uh, that she had to take. Well, 
when I research turmeric, turmeric is best absorbed when it's combined with something like a black pepper and an oil. Cool. Can I make something that has turmeric that has black pepper and has oil? Oh, you know what? I can fry chicken. And the doctors are recommending that my mom take a certain amount, a certain number of grams of protein. Chicken. It's a clean protein. And it's in. Oh, okay. All I need to do is hand cut those strips. I hand cut those strips into three strips. So now my mom, through her sore mouth, can essentially manage her meal. Right. So when you come, when a person comes to eat at waffles and whatnot, and they get a chicken and waffle meal with that apple cinnamon waffle, this sauce that I make, which is people literally drink mm -hmm. the sauce and and uh, a scoop of macaroni and cheese, my garlic macaroni and cheese, you are getting at least 15 of some of the top spices and ingredients that helps to stabilize your blood sugar, to stabilize your blood pressure and to actually fight cancer. Who else can say? that they're serving fried chicken that can help fight <laughs> cancer. So then now back to the, to your question about the franchise yeah. model, all these entities come into our communities. They tell us that there's not enough people here. There's not enough dollars to support opening a whole foods market, but they can justify opening a Popeye's and across the street from that, a church's chicken and across the street from that is a Chick-fil-A and across the street from that is a, a waffle house, right? Like that's the corner. They can justify that, but they can't justify bringing us whole foods market. Okay. I got you. I'm going to create a food system that can create anything that you guys serve in any one of your restaurants, literally waffles and whatnot has the flexibility of a food truck. So you think of how many food truck concepts exist on the planet. That's the franchise system that I've built. I can incorporate any of those into my waffles and whatnot model. So when I go into a community now, it's being able to go in and set up and say, okay, cool. This community is lacking this, 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 and that. I got you. I don't need to open 10 different types of businesses. Nope. Waffles and whatnot is coming in there and waffles and whatnot has a hub and that hub. Uh, so we manufacture currently manufacture about 95% of our products. Wow in-house original recipes. So with that, we're able to source everything. We know where it comes from. I know every ingredient in every item served in waffles and whatnot. Not only that, but we're vertically integrated. So the only aspect of waffles and whatnot that I'm missing currently is the actual growth of the food itself, but we'll eventually get there. That comes with scaling. As we scale, we'll be able to justify in the same way that, um, you may go and buy a 10 pound bag of flour. Right. A food truck may go and buy a 50 pound bag of flour. A restaurant that serves waffles may buy flour by the pallet. Whereas a, a franchise system, you know, that has 10 restaurants may buy flour by the truckload. Right. McDonald's plays a whole different game. They go and buy the farm mm. and the farmers. That's the level that I'm aiming at. Because once we get there and I control the soil, I now know what is being put into the plants. 
before it's converted into a spice or some other type of ingredient. So I'm controlling everything that's coming into your body, right? The, the, the supply chain. And with that, we can begin to clean the bodies. Wow. It's going to take time, right? So I get attacked when I say anything about health because people are like, well, tell me why fried chicken is healthy. Tell me why macaroni and cheese is healthy. Blah, 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 blah. Right. That's the instant thing. Um, it happened when we were in, in the course together, right? When we were in the uh, um, King Solomon's mm -hmm. class, there was a doctor in there, two doctors sitting next to me. And I said, I have the healthiest fast food in America. And they were like, well, I'll be the judge of that. And it's it's like, I didn't say it's healthy. I said it's the healthiest, mm -hmm. right? Well, they need to eat you know, cold pressed juices, uh, uh, raw organic, uh, you know, and quinoa and non GMO da, 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 and all this stuff. And it's like, you've already lost the majority of the country when you start talking like that, because they think when you go to somebody and you're like, Hey, this is gluten free. This is celiac safe. This is ketogenic. This is da, 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 da. this is the healthiest waffle you're going to eat. Oh, it must taste like cardboard. I ain't even gonna try that, <laughs> right? And the, and the irony, the irony is that that person will then go to Waffle House, or they'll go grab Eggos that has all these chemicals that they can't even pronounce. Right? You've already lost them. And my point to to one of those doctors because they were like, "We've been doing this for thirty years." It's like, so is McDonald's. Who's winning? Mm. There's a demographic of people that you will never get to take all of these capsules and pills, you know, all of these vitamins and uh, to, to structure their meals a certain way to do intermittent fasting and da, 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 da. And everybody keeps saying the same thing, the same thing that they've been saying for decades. Oh, it's about education. We just need to educate more. We just need to educate more. I'm going to open a business that educates more. I'm going to become a nutritionist so I can educate more, educate, educate, educate. Like, listen. Most people that are putting that thing in their mouth know they're not supposed to be eating that thing anyway. What more education do you need? Y'all have already told us about the food pyramids and all this kind of stuff. And we've watched you change the food pyramid so many times, the composition of it, you know, based on what diet fad is happening or or what commodity you want to move. Yeah. You want to move more sugar? Okay. Tell us how much sugar we should have per day. Oh, you don't want to move more sugar? You want to move more of this thing? Let's create this fast food. I mean, uh, um, fat-free fad oh now there's there's something you know aspartame don't don't eat aspartame now now everybody run to keto everybody eat keto da, 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 da. Yeah. oh everybody eat keto but let me build this whole industry of packaged goods around keto what is keto da, 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 da. And, and now the the whole craze with beyond beyond beat impossible burger what's in it mm -hmm. do you have any clue What's that's, in it? Yes, it's vegan. So is cardboard. <laughs> so is plastic. Real talk, that's brother. Good. Real talk. Listen, listen. This 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 book is vegan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if hear me out, this is important for your audience to understand. True. This book is non-GMO and <laughs> vegan. It is natural. Right. Look, it's paper. It's natural. It came from a tree. It came from the earth. So it is earth friendly. I can take this and soak this in water and then put it in a Vitamix and blend it up into a slurry 
add some chia seeds into it and some flavoring. I'll even make it sugar free. I'll make it sugar free vanilla and add in some peach or something like that. And then serve it to you in a bottle. Yeah. Mm. And that's your vegan yeah. thing. What is in your food? Mm. You, you know, you're bringing up a great point. And, and our, 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 our mutual mentor says this. There's food from the hand of God and there's food from the hand of man. And, and uh, what it sounds like you're you're going the route of the hand of God by learning the, the production line and going to the seed, to the root of the food, all the way to the supply chain, to the eventually into the restaurant. So, dude, I, 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 I mean, I, I, every time we talk, I get another layer of what you're doing and and I and I can I can see it. And, and, and like you're saying, you, you're not you're not trying to change the mindset that people already have towards food because a lot of people have these mindsets and they're not going to change those mindsets. It's easier because there's, there's, there's a law, there's a principle of the law of the mind that for example, going back to food that if McDonald's, which they tried sells kale burgers in their restaurants, they're not going to succeed because it's already implanted in their mind. They sell unhealthy, juicy burgers. So when they tried to release their kale burger, it failed because of the law of the mind. And you're saying, I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm going to go in through the process you're already used to. I'm going to inject my superfoods, my vitamins that you need, my nutrients, and you're going to get the value in a way that you would normally receive it. But tradition, I mean, in a, in a food that you would normally eat in a non-traditional way. And so I, I think that's brilliant, man. And I And I just commend you for what you're doing. And thinking outside the box with your creativity, that going back to your gift and vision um, to do this and and understand that this is going to impact our communities um, and around the world forever. Um, so with that said, man, I really um, I really want to go into a, a last couple of questions for you is how can people get plugged in to this amazing restaurant Um from a, I know you're in Anchorage, but for anybody that's wanting to, man, Derek, I want to try your food, or Eric, Derek, down the line, when you, I want to be one of your franchisees. Uh, how does that, how does that work? So there's different ways to get involved. Um, first, let me say, I, I was starting to make a point early, and, and I went down a rabbit hole um, in alignment with what you just said. Think about like this: a waffle, right? Your kid doesn't want to eat their veggies, however. I can take a waffle and I can put a scoop of their daily dose of super greens. This powder that has 23 to 30 super greens in it. So they're getting spirulina and corella. They're getting um, collard greens. They're getting kale. They're getting spinach. All these super greens, but they're in powder form. They turn the waffle green. So when I serve that kid the waffle, I'll bring them the waffle with our house-made whipped cream with sprinkles on it. Right. And maybe some sugar free syrup for the kid. We push that down. That's the incredible Hulk waffle. Right. And the kid just eats it up. Num, 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 num. The mom knows what's in the waffle and why the waffle is green. The kid has no idea. Let's go. That right there. That's the thing that I'm doing. Right. So anyway, as far as the franchise models, brother, we. I have built this thing to be able to incorporate people at different levels, right? I have a system. And if people want to learn more about the franchise, they can absolutely reach out to me via the website, wafflesandwhatnot.com. And if they want to learn more about me as a person, 
as who I'm at, who I am and what it is that I feel I've been put here to do, then they can go to DerekLGreen.com and they can write me through there. I have to separate the funnels because I understand that people mess with me for different reasons. Um, when it comes to the, the franchise model, how you can access it, franchise it. I need people out there. I actually do need people to franchise, right? And though anybody's able to franchise the waffles and whatnot, as long as our uh, personalities match up and everything, it's just this reality. What I'm building has the potential to become the largest black owned franchise that has ever existed, right? When I go into a community, um, there may only be able to, they may only be able to put in two or three McDonald's because McDonald's is just serving burgers and fries and their, you know, nuggets and stuff like this. Waffles and whatnot can serve burgers and fries. This, I promise you, I promise you the worst thing on my menu is better than the best thing on any fast food systems menu that you see currently. The worst thing on my menu, everything on our menu gets five-star reviews or I take it off. And as I go into these communities, I'm now able to go into a community, let's say Orlando, we did an analysis of Orlando and it shows that it can support anywhere from 12 to 17 waffles and whatnot locations, depending on how we configure it, 12 to 17 of them in the Orlando area. And what I need to bring that to life are the investors, the people that believe in what it is that I'm doing and, and have the right motive, because not all money is good money to be able to go into communities and change lives, brother. And the food is not meant for a specific color or race of people. It's meant to address the fact that 48% of this country has prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. 48%. I get upset talking about this because people will come to me with all their business ideas, right? Just last night at the David Banner thing, somebody comes up like, oh man, we need to open the next weed shop, right? The first black owned weed shop in Alaska. And I'm like, yes, that, that needs to happen. True. But not everybody smokes weed. Right? Oh, well, well, I do print marketing and da 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 da. Yes, but not everybody needs squeezy balls. Right? Or or pamphlets. But everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs to eat. So until I can get this community. The, the marketing has been amazing. The marketing that has told us the restaurant is the hardest industry. The food service is the hardest industry. Don't go into the food yeah. service. Don't go. Don't go there. Oh, no. Start another business over there. Meanwhile, who controls the food supply of the entire freaking planet? Right. Who can who controls the health of the planet while we're talking about how hard it is? to open a restaurant or how difficult it is to, to make it in the food service industry. Tell that to those multinational conglomerates that are controlling what's going in your kid's body that are already implanting these chemicals and things in your kid's body, right? How many, literally how many eight year old children in this country don't know what McDonald's is? We're losing the war. And some people don't even realize that they're in one. The health of the, the literally the health of humanity is at stake for he who controls the food. 
you control everything else that goes in a person's on in a person's life for the rest of their days. It's true. It's true. Right. And and this whole notion of investors that don't want to invest in, you know, oh, he only I've been asked so many times, well, how many locations do you have? And it's like, well, I have one currently in Anchorage. I have a food truck, a catering business and a manufacturing operation. Well, why don't you, you know, once you break that 10 franchise barrier, then come back and talk with me. Cool. Cool. That's not the right person for me. Right. That's they don't think at a level high enough to understand what it is that we can do. Okay, waffles and whatnot has the potential not only to be the largest, but also to be the fastest growing. I do have the plan written here to become the fastest growing franchise system that's ever existed. I know you'll do it, brother. I can spread. I can spread like Mr. Beast did amazing during the pandemic. Mr. Beast Burger. Look him up if you haven't. I'm not talking about just virtual kitchens, right? But that's one aspect of being able to franchise the waffles and whatnot. I'm just here for, for conversations. Let's have a conversation, serious conversations and people that want to be involved in this. I don't want to like, it's like listening to people like Rick Ross, no disrespect, but people like Rick Ross that, that get on and gladly say, I own, you know, this many wing stops. And it's like, yeah, but you don't actually own them. You license them. Let's be clear. You license them. And because you license Wingstop, you violate the terms of their agreement or the terms of that contract. They will pull all of that away from you. This is something that originated in my mind. That we own. Vertically integrated. And with the right people. Those trillions of dollars. That trillion dollar buying power that the black community has, the other trillion dollar that the, the poorer underserved community has. I'm talking about the, the, the brown people, the poor people that are living in trailer parks, the, the, not the, the larger population, but you're talking about real numbers yeah. there. And when people start thinking about, oh, there's no money there. And it's like, really, that's is that why they have McDonald's in every community that you go to? That's deep. Is, is that why Burger King exists in KFC? Because there's no money there. Is that why every grocery store you go into, they have a food court now where they're serving you this X, Y, Z is because there's no money in the community. <laughs> it's there. Right. Wow. Like they've marketed it to you as if, as if there's no money. They've marketed it to you as if you need to go elsewhere to get the yeah. money. But you idiots, you are giving them your money. This is why you're not able to raise your, to elevate your community because you're taking your dollars outside of your community. You are not recirculating the dollars within your community. So come here, come here and be a part of this thing, build this thing up and recirculate your dollars. And then amazingly, and I'll shut up after this brother, sorry. Amazingly, this is when you actually start to get a voice. You start to get a voice because now you have a vehicle that can give you that voice, i.e. a consolidation of wealth, which gives you the ability to essentially demand meetings with the politicians. Right. I love when it's election season because they come through me. I have the most prominent black owned business in Alaska. My sister, her name is Jasmine Smith, has a business called Baby Van. She's right there with me. 
right? She's the president. I'm the vice president, Black Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Assistant vice president now. I got busy. So she has it with her baby van and it going national. And then I have waffles and whatnot. It's, and it's like when it's election season, those politicians come to us. And that's when you can say, hey, we need investment in this area. We need this place to be restructured as an opportunity zone. That's where the actual power of being able to make change comes from. But we can never do that if if it's like, well, I'm going to go do hair. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to invest in real estate. I'm going to and your dollars have just been split out. And it's like our community seems to never learn. Man, brother, I love your vision, man. And it's clear and it's evident. You are a visionary, man. And thank you for sharing your gift with us and for the listeners. So the question we always ask at the end of every episode, um, you weren't prepped on this. Um, what is the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's gift and one's purpose. Beautiful. It's the same thing as I was saying with, I, I, I didn't hear that question. That's yeah. awesome. What you do versus who you are, right? Your gift is what you, in my opinion, your gift is a reflection of who you are. I told you that the greatest gift God ever gave me was life, right? But in giving me life, there are certain traits that existed in me that will always exist in me, whether in this form or after I transform, transition to the next life, and that existed before I came into existence in this form, right? I believe that I existed before I became this thing that you see as Derek Green. Energy never dies, rather just transforms. I came from something. And in being brought to life in this moment, there are things about me that are always true, no matter what I choose to do. And doing becomes the purpose. So I am gifted at being Derek Green. What I do with being Derek Green is, you know, having a purpose of changing how we eat. I have a purpose of being able to help people gain control of their life by addressing their childhood traumas. I have a purpose of being able to help people see themselves so that others can see them. I can't see you if you can't even see yourself. Right. So that's how I would say that, brother. Well said, brother. Well said. Thank you so much, man, for blessing the people, sharing your, your story, your heart, your purpose, and your vision, man. Continue success, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called the Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it, and I'd love to give that to you as a free gift as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. 
That's podcast dot David, the middle initial D, Simons, S-I-M-O-N-S dot com and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.